0: Hi everybody, this is Brian Janikowski. Welcome to our August, uh, almost August, uh, um, monthly conference call. I'm Christian Thwaites and Rita Lee, who is our uh, head of head of research here. Uh, So thanks for joining us today. Um, We we do have some questions already come in through through our system, and what I'll do at some point is press star eight and unmute everybody. And if you'd like to jump into a question at that point, feel free. I'll uh, I'll stop talking to so give you time to talk. So um, we're going to be going to about 20 minutes and maybe talk for about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, and then we'll open it up to questions. Okay, so uh, it's been a somewhat turbulent summer as we close out July. Um, we're, I think the sort of big things that we've been dealing with this summer include uh, the trade talks, which are obviously sort of front and headline center although they they're they're sort of changeable almost by the hour um, the big number that we got in economic growth last year I think that um, that surprised a lot of people though probably not us as much as uh, as, as maybe the street um, and also what's been going on in the uh, in in the sP particularly as it relates to tech earnings because obviously we had a kickoff last week with that, with those rather strange Facebook numbers and that's in our view, sort of, you know, affected the market to a greater degree than it probably should have. But let's just kind of start with a quick summary of where we are. So the summer has actually been pretty good. Um, You know, uh, the the market has been, the S&P has been uh, close to its all-time highs. It hasn't really corrected very much. We're about 6% for the year. On the growth side, we're more up uh, closer to 10%. So again, growth has outperformed value by a very big margin. Uh, NASDAQ, uh, with its tech, Weighting is more up and more 11 percent, and small company growth, which uh, you know, we've been talking about for a while, invest our clients in up sort of 12 or 14 percent. So that's all done rather well. Um, and on the sector side, we've, um, we've seen the consumer discretionary and, and tech lead, lead, lead the year up about 13 percent each. Uh, and then the laggards, which you kind of would expect in this market. Um, well consumer staples were down, REITs which are very interest rate sensitive tend to be relatively weak and industrials who I think got caught up in the uh, trade disputes uh, and then the one which has been weak for us is uh, is emerging markets which is down about 4.4% and we're going to discuss that in a little bit and give you our views on, uh, on emerging markets after that correction so let's just talk on some of these sort of bigger things that have been going on uh, on the trade side this is really started to hit front and center in April when the aluminum tariffs were announced, steel aluminum tariffs. They seem like a distant memory at this point. Uh, since then, we've moved on to autos. We've moved on to, uh, what is it, Rita? Something like uh, $200 billion worth of Chinese <laughs> imports.
1: The next wave would be uh, some more industrial products, machineries and things like that with the $16 billion. next. And then it will come the $200 billion of all kinds of things.
0: But as we speak, it seems that China and, and the US are maybe okay. calling yeah, talking. <laughs> I was gonna say holding a truce, but I don't think we don't think we're we're quite there yet. Um, so what we did in our various analysis was just assume that the entire bilateral trade with China and Europe, it's a very extreme example, is subject to fifteen to twenty percent tariffs, in which case NAFTA is left alone. And then the rest is just not so much. And we come up with a number which is round about 1% of GDP. So it's not insignificant, uh, but that would be, in our view, the kind of maximum amount of growth just on a mathematics perspective. There's, so nothing else changes, which, of course, is uh, an unrealistic supposition in many ways, but the 15% tariff is put against those two bilateral trade uh, um, uh, flows. Um, and so that that's a number that we can deal with. The the number because there'll be import substitution and there'll be uh, you know other, other changes in the economy. But of course, the big thing about trade, I think, Rita, you and I discussed this, is that it really upsets the supply lines uh, and the sort of you know complicated uh, you, know, you know chains supply chains of, mm-hmm. of, of 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 U.S. companies. So it's you know there's still a lot of uncertainty. I think wouldn't you say?
1: totally um i believe that you know talks are good and i think today as we see uh renewed talks between china and u.s has um uh, given us a bit more hope <laughs> and the market has reacted to it so we we do it we do not um expect this to go too badly we expect it to continue um i mean talks yeah continue and um and uh Negotiations will come uh, as well as some results. We just don't know exactly whether the results are exactly what the administration expected. Yes,
0: I agree. And what's interesting is that while this China debate has been going on, uh, the renminbi has devalued by how much?
1: So the renminbi has lost 7% over the last three months. This essentially makes Chinese goods cheaper to domestic consumers as well as global partners, trade partners, essentially negating part of the effects of the tariffs. So that's rather interesting. Now, uh, some believe this may be a way, um, one of the ways China deals with the trade stats. It may, however, be totally unrelated, Christian. Um, so as I read in Chinese media, by and last, large, they are not talking about trade war they are talking about their internal economy, how it's slowing down, and also President Xi Jinping's deleveraging uh, efforts. So that's a really ba- delicate balancing act between stabilizing growth mm-hmm. and de-risking and dealing with the trade spats.
0: Yeah, but that's interesting about the depreciation because that's almost half in percentage terms. Yeah. The 15% tariffs have essentially been knocked down by ah. by half. Yeah. So, I, I look. This is a difficult thing to predict because you know I don't think the trade. I don't think administration necessarily has a trade policy other than to pick fights with anyone who walks into the room. But it does seem that uh, the market is is at least um, taking it in its stride and it's not too as concerned, I think, by some of the trade uh, trade potential of all-out trade war as it was a few months ago.
1: China is not really in a position, I think, um, to. Be that strong in the trade dispute they they are reeling internally. Yeah. Also, they have to deal with this slowing growth. They're still growing. It's just slower growth. And Chinese, being a largely planned economy, wants to achieve a certain number, and they they want to achieve six point five percent GDP growth. And they might they will probably do that by various measures. So I, I think um, I think that's one reason why I'm a little bit more optimistic in the long run of the negotiations.
0: Good yeah that's it's good to hear We'll come back to china's emerging market on the equity side a little bit um so that's obviously been in the background meanwhile the u s economy um you wouldn't you wouldn't have got from the u s economic data uh you know any problems at all if you'd not been not attention to the headlines and just watched the g d p numbers the unemployment numbers, the inflation numbers, the wage numbers I'll come back to that and then the big leading indicators like housing industrial production orders. Uh, and and various different Fed regional surveys. The economy is in in pretty rude health. And what we saw last Friday was the first estimate of GDP. Um, And we wrote about this in the blog. So there's a number of good things. First of all, it was an annualized rate of about 4%. Uh, The US did cross $20 trillion as an economy, uh, which is is almost twice as big as the next biggest economy in in the world. Personal consumption was up, uh, exports were up a lot, um, and even some of the uh, in, investment side, uh, particularly corporate investment were up. So it was really a, a phenomenal number. But as, as we, and we're certainly not alone in this thinking, but uh, you know how sustainable is that? The answer is uh, unlikely. I mean, the, the US really can't, opposite, opposite, uh, can't operate at 4% capacity. Um, you know for for very long without creating a lot of in, in inflation concerns and i think what happened this time round was that a lot of the tax cuts are front end loaded uh, a lot of them came immediately in the in the right in the first quarter and the ongoing in the second quarter to corporations who were made, immediately able to reduce their tax bill by a very significant amount in terms of what it hid in people's pockets books that was a much smaller amount but it began to sort of come through after tax season, sort of April, May, right in time for the second quarter. And of course, the big one was that as the threat of tariffs uh, moved, uh, you know, it became more uh, more real, exports were brought forward. And so the famous one that everyone was watching, including ourselves, was the soybean exports, that the US exports about $40 billion of soybean, uh, a lot of it to China. Uh, a lot of those were brought forward in order to beat the um, the, the tariffs which were introduced on July 3rd and what I heard uh, uh, reader, was that there was a boat of US soybeans racing to make to get it get it to to Shanghai before the bit, deadline, before the deadline. <laughs> and so, I know that's if they made it or nothing. not but uh, uh, but that was very interesting so that's you know that's definitely some of those exports would have normally have been smoothed out in subsequent quarters, so you had this enormous contribution to growth from the exports and imports, which is unlikely to continue
1: one of the closer well come a little bit closer to us will be the the almonds California almonds California export well accounts for about eighty percent of the almonds export of the United States so you know that's that's a huge producer we are a huge producer in almonds and same thing happened um, we have a bumper crop and People are rushing to get the almonds offshore. <laughs> yeah, as quickly as possible. <laughs> as quickly as possible, because we do have competitors um, in all these things. Yes. As soybeans in Brazil, uh, almonds in Australia, and you know Turkey. So there are lots of uh, things that we sh- we also need to worry about in also the agricultural
0: front. <laughs> yes, very much so. But uh, I think come back to looking at that sustainability of four percent growth, and it's very difficult to see. And look, we take a pretty simplistic view. Perhaps overly simple, but in order to get big GDP growth, you either need an expanding population or workforce. We certainly don't have that. Mm. Um, you either need uh, big gains in productivity. Productivity has struggled to, you know, get much above one percent, um, or you need a lot more big participation in the in the labor force. Now that could happen. Where we've got a low participation force uh, particip- participation work rate compared to 20 years ago, but you need. Quite a big jump in order, I think, to see a, a significant and sustained jump in GDP up to a four percent range from the two to three, which is really what it's been operating at since for the last ten years. Right. So um, the other sort of major thing we've been seeing is is central bank and and federal Federal Reserve policy, uh, but this is kind of a changing story. Uh, the, a lot of the central banks are sort of less important in the market than they were. Now, why is that? Because I think in some cases we know with the ECB last week and the Bank of Japan today that they're very clear what they're doing. The ECB is going to continue to sort of to uh, operate a, a high quantitative easing rate for at least another six to nine months. Uh, they're going to remain easy on monetary policy, Don't want to see the euro appreciate. Uh, Japan reinforced its commitment to a target rate of 0% on the 10 year. And Japan is buying uh, on the quantitative easing there. It's called the two things. They have a yield curve management. I can't, the, they actually do manage where the yield curve is, something I the Fed never did. Right. Um, and, and their uh, quantitative easing has a qualitative a qualitative side to it. And they're buying everything under the sun, so they, they they bought out a very large amount of Japanese government bonds, and they're also buying equity ETFs. ETF, yeah. So that's going to continue. So uh, so they're less important mainly because we know what they're going to do. As for the U.S. Fed, um, it, again, it it has signaled very strongly that you know we, we're going to look at three three increases for this year, mm-hmm. possibly four. We've already had two into the bag. We've got the FOMC meeting this week. It'll be in minutes only tomorrow. It won't be a press release. They don't change rates on outside of a press release, uh, normally. <laughs> and uh, uh, so they, I think, are signaling a, a gradual easing, and I don't think there's anything uh, in the economic numbers which is particularly upsetting them other than what might happen with a trade war.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Is that, would you what you're seeing as well?
1: Agree, uh, I think, you know, we, uh, and, and um, uh, Jay Powell also is signaling has been signaling more communication and being a bit more transparent, so hopefully um, the market can take a little bit of solace from that.
0: Yes, I agree. And also, and we had some clients ask us about, Trump made um, uh, an unusual, if not unprecedented, sort of commentary about criticism, we'd say about uh, the Fed uh, increasing rates You know this has happened before. uh, You know, um, certainly Reagan was critical of Volcker in the early 80s, or I don't think Volcker paid a lot of attention to it. And but the most blatant form of interference happened with Nixon and Arthur Burns in the early uh, 1970s. And uh, I think everybody after that felt that an independent Fed was very important. And I personally don't think Jay Powell lose a second's worth of sleep over uh, any kind of verbal intervention that the administration might want to make uh, against the Fed. So I think the Fed's course and the Fed's independence is on is on a very on very good ground. Um, so let's just talk quickly about stock the stock market. Um, we're in a middle of a uh, very good earnings quarter. We knew that was going to be good. Uh, you know, companies are looking at 17, 18% earnings yeah. increases. And a lot of that is the corporation tax cut, but also the rebound of things like energy, um, and also the weighting of the tech companies uh, who have reported very good earnings. Um, we we did have that scare last week with, uh, with Facebook. Uh, I mean, personally, I think Facebook's the kind of weakest of the fangs, you know, so that's Facebook, uh, Google, um, Amazon, uh, yes. Netflix, yes, and uh, and some of the others that are also around that, um, and and so that obviously dropped about twenty percent, uh, and we got Apple's earnings tonight, and so I I, uh, I think some of this sort of tech confidence will will come back into the market.
1: So Facebook and Netflix were the two that yes. missed, yep. and uh, and Google and Amazon reported really good numbers. Um, you know it, it, we have been uh, in a very concentrated market, and we've been saying that for months. Um, the uh, the Dow and the S and P corrected earlier this year. The Nasdaq never did. So technology has been a crowded trade. It's not that we wanted this to happen, but we expected yes. the tech to, you know, have I a little bit of a win. I think you're right.
0: Headwind. I'd forgotten that they really didn't go through that mm-hmm. direction in February. You're absolutely right. Whereas the Dow and a lot yeah. of the broader market did. So so you know it was somewhat some somewhat overdue. I also read the other day that Facebook. Uh, is is sort of in the top five of twenty of the largest ETFs in the in, oh, in the yes. market, sure. and it's also a big you know it's in QQQ, which mm-hmm. is the Nasdaq tracker. Uh, so it's a very widely and held a, stock. Yeah, widely
1: held also in, among hedge funds. Yes,
0: yes, yes, and of course they're going to leverage mm-hmm. the heck out of it and sell it you know on very short notice. So let's just quickly talk to about international. So uh, the big stories I think is um, is is Europe. Uh, it's a, going along nicely. It's been caught up a little bit in the, in the, in the trade disputes, although that got a bit a bit better last week as Juncker and, and Trump met. Um, but let's switch on to, briefly to emerging markets, which, Rita, we've talked about emerging markets have really been the victim of uh, the higher rates, the stronger dollar, which we saw from February onwards, and the trade disputes. And that took a little bit of the edge off the emerging markets. Where do you think we are now with emerging markets?
1: Well, I think we will see a little bit more softness. Um, Generally, the market overshoots. And uh, when we see this kind of uh, fallout, I think we will see more. Now, in the long run, though, Christian, we we still like the fundamentals a lot. Um, Very attractive valuation. Um, Now, emerging markets forward earnings is at 11 times versus 14. For five-year average very very attractive valuation and earnings growth has been strong as well uh, had it not for all these trade disputes it may not have come under such pressure
0: yeah no I, I agree I think you would come back to the fundamentals and uh, as some of our clients know we've been advocating uh, putting some protection in place for emerging markets exposure and uh, please give us a call if you'd like to know more about that. We're going to be doing that again for our clients So I think uh, yeah, so I think uh, emerging market is not is not uh, is not a time to come out of it but I think it's a time to you know, maybe to put some protection and and, and Moderate some of the volatility which we would expect to, to continue for a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, especially uh, You know, we'll have to watch the the trade war whether it escalates or whether it, it Escalates that will have a significant influence outsized influence on the emerging markets in the short run.
0: Yes, yeah, so as a quick summary on our investment side, we still like treasuries. Those of you know that we've, we've liked that story for a while, particularly the front end, which is now at the two-year yielding about 2.8%. Uh, on the U.S., we've been defensive uh, for most of this year, which means we've been lower in tech, and that's done well recently. But we kind of like to have that little bit of buffer and protection, uh, given the so sort of equity markets are fairly long in the tooth mm-hmm. on, the, and on, the, on the cyclical side. And then on the emerging market side uh, and international, we kind of like the fundamentals and the valuation, but putting some protections in uh, if we need them. Um, okay, well, we're gonna, I'm going to unmute this at star eight, and
1: uh, I'll, I'll wait a second if anyone has a question, and then um, uh, we'll take it from there. I believe we have a question sent in, Christian. Right?
0: Yes. Shall I read it? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, I keep hearing that we are in an everything bubble, as opposed to housing or tech bubble, created by years of cheap money. The bubble will deflate as interest go up. Any thoughts? Um, I. I I don't quite see it that way as an everything bubble. It's, it's right that if you are going to see a bubble, you've got to look for leverage and, and where, where are the spikes in leverage? Well, clearly in 2008, 2009, it was with consumers and it was in housing in 2000, uh, in the late 1990s. Obviously, it was a small company and a, and a lot of easy money there as well, but there are points of leverage in the economy, but I don't think they're that widespread. Corporate borrowing is high, but not that high if you compare it to the cash on the balance sheets that companies have. So companies have been borrowing more money than in past cycles, but the interest rates have been lower. If you net it against their cash and now their lower tax rate, uh, I don't think it's a, a major a major concern certainly to be watched and that's one reason why we don't like things like high yield but I don't think it's enough to to uh, you know to crash the economy the consumer is not leveraged despite what might be read about consumer card debt being uh, very high um, it it is high as a portion uh, or in dollar terms but not as a portion of GDP or households Uh, In fact, it's about 30 points lower than it was at its peak. So I don't think that's a concern. Uh, Student debt is really swapping one type of loan for another. Uh, That tends not to have a default around it. So we can kind of go through the list. But I think uh, there are certain parts of the housing market, especially around here, which uh, have bubble-like qualities. But across the economy, big enough to derail the economy in a major, major way, I, I just don't see it. And uh, uh, you know, there are plenty of people who are saying otherwise, but um, I, you know, without sort of feeling that they've been complacent, uh, I, I think consumers have actually been scared stiff since 2008, 2009 of taking on too much secured debt, auto debt, consumer debt, credit card debt, or mortgages. So uh, I, I think they're a very, rather chastened uh, part, of the, part of the economy right now. And uh, just again, opening up to any questions that people might have, and if not, well, thank you very much for joining us we We're at our twenty minute mark and we're trying to you know on time, so I will read the disclosure at this point, and thank you for joining us. Please note the information provided in this presentation is for general information purposes only and should be considered as. Recommendational personalized investment advice. The investment strategies discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or her own particular situation before making an investment decision. All expressions of opinion are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and the opinions presented cannot be viewed
1: as an indicator of future performance.